Hello, this is Craig Camp, and welcome to Truant Talk, where we dig deeply into Demeter Biodynamic and Regenerative Organic Certified Wine Growing and Farming at Truant Vineyard in Oregon's Applegate Valley. This is meant to be a podcast for those that aspire to, as the Regenerative Organic Alliance says, farm like the world depends on it. These interviews will be focused on our work here at Truant Vineyard, but will also include the work of other farmers committed to regenerative agriculture. And now for today's interview. Welcome to Truant Talk, where we dig deeply into biodynamic, regenerative, organic agriculture. Joining me today is Truant Vineyard and Farm Director of Agriculture, Garrett Long, and our very special guest, Sheila Foster, Executive Director of the Biodynamic Demeter Alliance. Welcome, Sheila and Garrett. Hi, thanks for having me here. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Sheila, please share your background with us and how you became the Executive Director of the Biodynamic Demeter Alliance. Yeah, so um, let's see. It's a bit of a journey, to be honest. Um, I was invited to become the executive director of the Biodynamic Demeter Alliance. Um, And I think maybe for me personally, one of the biggest draws to serving in this role is being able to make a difference when it comes to climate change. And... um, I have a background in marine biology and science journalism and uh, environmentalism and spent the first half of my career in that world. And um, I was working in the Salinas Valley and I was working on saving endangered species. And I would sit in my office and I'd look out the window and I would be writing grants on how to save endangered species and watch the pesticides being sprayed across the fields. And I realized we had to do something about how we grow our food or it was never going to change and we were not going to save any endangered species. And the other aspect of all of that was we had education programs with that organization and many of the children that participated were the children of the uh, farm workers. And these kids had very little access to fresh food. And that was very disturbing to me as well. And I knew that their parents were harvesting food for everybody else, and yet they were not, they were basically going hungry or not having access to the food that they needed. So that got me interested in the whole food system and what do we need to change about the food system. And so I spent uh, many years, I worked in Marin with Marin Organic and um, did a lot of work to try to create um, an um, all-organic county in Marin. I did the farm program at UC Santa Cruz, which is where Alan Chadwick's garden is. And so that's a really fascinating place. And that's where I first learned about biodynamics because Alan Chadwick um, was out of the biodynamic movement. In fact, he was Alan York's teacher, who Mm -hmm. is, I think he helped you guys, didn't he? Yeah, me directly, for sure. Yeah, so it's... So I went through that program, and then uh, eventually um, this alliance formed, and um, this was an opportunity for me to be able to step into a role where I felt like as a national organization uh, that was really trying to promote biodynamics, that was a really great way to try to address climate change. 
So Sheila, when we started our voyage to biodynamic certification at Trin Vineyard, there were two separate organizations, Demeter USA and the Biodynamic uh, uh, Alliance. How have all these organizations been unified into one organization? Well, that is a story. And I'm not going to go into the whole long story because it goes on for a really long time. <laughs> but there was, uh, back in the 1930s, the Biodynamic Association was formed. And that organization published the Biodynamics Journal and was really the uh, education and cultural center for biodynamics. They worked very hard to... Um, provide educational materials and all kinds of work along those lines. And um, so that started back in the 1930s. And then in the 19, uh, end of the 1980s, uh, Demeter USA was formed. So um, Demeter is the certification agency for making sure that people who are farming biodynamically are really meeting those standards. And that's um, out of, you know, there's, Biodynamics is an international, global movement, and so there's international standards, and um, the U.S. meets those international standards, but there's also standards that we know are important for us here in this country, and so there's this whole conversation that happens between each country that is part of uh, certification and biodynamics with the international standards, and the U.S. is unusual in that we own our own trademark for uh, Demeter, and we also own the trademark for Biodynamics. And so <clears throat> that creates a really unique opportunity for us to be able to really make sure that we're upholding the standards that we think is really important in terms of, of what Biodynamics means and how do you implement that on the ground in a way that takes care of people and the planet. So anyways, um, they, these two organizations, there was, there was an acknowledgement that there, we needed to grow biodynamics in the United States. It's hugely popular in Europe. Not a, nearly as many people know about biodynamics and Demeter in the U.S. So there was an acknowledgement something, we needed to shift something. So there was a council of biodynamic organizations that came together and looking at sort of the landscape of all the many different organizations in the United States, it was realized if the Biodynamic Association and Demeter USA could come together, that could be a really powerful force. And so that was a unification process that started in 2016 and then eventually came to be in 2022, January 1st, 2022. And then I was hired in um, April of 2022. So that's how we came to be, the Biodynamic Demeter Alliance. As an organization, our goal is to be able to support a huge growing network of biodynamic organizations all across the United States. So we sort of see our role as a conduit, as a convening place. So we have a national conference that's happening in November uh, from the 8th until the 12th in Colorado. Um, we have a farmer training workshop that we provide that is something that people can participate from all over the country, and we match them with biodynamic farms to learn more about biodynamics. So there's a lot of work that we're doing to try to grow the biodynamic movement, and it has three spheres, the certification sphere, 
the education sphere, which was what the Biodynamic Association was doing, and then a new aspect, which is the economic development. And so we just hired a new uh, director of economic development, Fred Smith, uh, Frederick Smith. And um, that's, we're trying to kind of move those three aspects together in a way that can really grow the biodynamic movement. Sheila, can you can you dig into those synergies a little bit more? You know, we talked about how these two organizations we talked about how these two organizations were separated, and through the unification, you've not only been able to cover certification as well as education, which they were both handling independently, but now even adding on more. What 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 has allowed the the new biodynamic Demeter Alliance to do more than what? Demeter certification and the Biodynamic Association could do independently? That is a great question because to be perfectly frank, the initial thing that happens, which I don't know if you've ever tried to merge together two organizations, but there's a lot of resources that goes into merging two organizations. And so I think in some ways we haven't been able to do as much in the last year Mm. in particular, Um, certainly not as much as we want to do. And I would say, you know, the current form of the Biodynamic Demeter Alliance is not as strong, for example, as the Biodynamic Association was when it was on its own. Mm. They were doing a tremendous job in terms of the... um, the conferences that were being held and the education programs and a lot of work around uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. Yes. So that was really powerful and really strong. And I think uh, the unfortunate thing that happened in putting all this time and energy into the merger is that some of those aspects dropped off. And what we're trying to do now is really bring that back alive. And I think the strength that can come from this is that it's going to take the whole biodynamic movement, all those regional organizations coming together to make that happen. And I think in the long run, that's a much stronger situation. And I think what what the merger has the potential for is increasing communication so that there's this increased understanding as to what is the situation on the ground for farmers. Because as a certification agency, that's very difficult to understand because, you know, you send a certifier out there and every farm is putting their best foot forward on the day of certification. So being able to have a place where people can come and say, you know, I really never understood this part of why we have to do this for biodynamics or could you help with this one aspect of how do we do this better or whatever it might be, that can't be the certifier. Like that's just not their role. So we're able to understand that both by having better communication with the certifiers to say, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been to five different farms and nobody understands this one aspect or we're really having some challenges around that. So then we can beef that up into our education programs. And at the same time with the economic development, it's being able to understand, you know, how can we increase people's understanding of what Demeter means? How can we increase knowledge of biodynamics across the board how do we create a marketplace that's exciting for people farmers to engage in and exciting for customers and consumers to be a part of so i think really the big advantage is communication how do we talk to each other how do we collectively work together towards this bigger goal which is 
you know, on the ground, getting more biodynamics out there, but also really it's to save our planet. It's to take better care of each other. That's the bigger goal. Yeah. And, and, and we can accomplish that by creating a bigger tent to invite in more people, right? It's the farmers, it's the certifiers, it's the consumers, it's, it's everybody is welcome in this movement. Yeah. And that's, that is, you hit it nail on the head. That is the message that we want to get out there is this is a big tent. It's a big table and we need everybody there because that's what it's going to take. Yeah. And not just the human beings, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All the organisms. So Sheila, this is a totally new position. Uh, It must be uh, an incredibly exciting challenge. Uh, What do you see your uh, uh, challenges now coming up over the next few years? (laughs) What are the challenges? Um, I, I think one of the big challenges is how do we make sure that people who aren't Demeter certified feel as welcome in the tent around the table as people who are Demeter certified and at the same time make sure that the people who are Demeter certified know how loved they are. They know that we view their standards as the top of the top, the gold standard. It takes a lot to be Demeter certified and those people are our heroes and need to be treated that way. And how then do we make sure that the people who may never be able to reach that standard, but are so devoted and care and want to be a part of this movement? And there's a ton of people that are part of this movement that are never going to be farmers. You know, there's a ton, like when you're a consumer and you purchase biodynamic products, you are part of the biodynamic movement. When you are looking in the store for a Demeter certified bottle of wine, you are part of the biodynamic movement. You are part of healing the planet. So that's what we want people to understand is that this, you don't have to have a farm, a vineyard. You don't even have to own a cow to be a part of the biodynamic movement. So we are approaching the 100th anniversary of the original biodynamic lectures. Rudolf Steiner made it clear in his original lectures that biodynamics was an ongoing experiment and that farmers and researchers should take not only his ideas, which he saw as only a starting place, but the knowledge gained from farms and researchers should be used to make biodynamics a concept, a worldview designed to grow and evolve. How is the Biodynamic Demeter Alliance promoting that evolution? I love that question, Craig, because I think it's really key. Um, You know, anybody who works the land knows that it is a living system that is always changing. And I think that was one of the core aspects of what Steiner was sharing with farmers when he gave those lectures back in, you know, 1924. He he saw it as being very important to cultivate the aspect of learning constantly, of observing constantly, of staying in touch with what's happening in the natural systems within which we work. And so I think from the Alliance's side, where, where we hope to help with that and to continue that legacy, we have 
an ESG specialist that we've hired, so an environmental, social, and governance specialist. So um, that is something that you know is happening on the corporate world of trying to get companies to understand that they have a responsibility. You can't just you know pretend that the environmental damage that you did creating the product has no bearing on the fact that that product exists. So there's this movement to take more responsibility for things. And I think within the biodynamic movement, farmers and producers are already doing that, right? They've already said, yes, we want to create something that is regenerative, that is truly giving back to the earth. But I think uh, having an ESG specialist on staff is really helpful because there are companies that want to use biodynamic products and so we need to be able to speak that language with them. We need to be able to show them why biodynamics is meeting their needs as a company that wants to, you know, have more calendula in their line or whatever it might be, that they understand the value of that on, on a sort of corporate speak level, if you will. So that's one thing that we've done. The other thing we've done is we've hired a climate ecologist, and she's digging in to... Um, all kinds of research that's happening all over the world that, you know, is looking at biodynamic practices and finding research papers that sort of support that work. So we're creating fact sheets and things like that. And then there's also all this work around how do we, what are, what's the next steps with research? Like how can we function as some sort of a like the conference is a great example. So you guys are putting on this wine intensive at the national conference, right? So that is the national conference is a place where people can get together. They can share knowledge. They can say, this is the data that we've collected and they can keep learning. And another uh, uh, really important tool that we're looking at is this regional ward app, which I'm hoping we're going to be able to find the funding for. But this is being piloted in Germany and in Egypt and in Spain and in South America. We want to bring it here to the United States. That will allow uh, producers to enter in their practices, all kinds of things from social, like what are some of the things they're doing socially in terms of how they take care of their workers to what they're doing on the ground. And it measures the value, the economic value of what a biodynamic farm is giving back to the community. And it literally spits out an invoice and says, this is the value. And then, you know, our next job is to take it to county, economic development districts, what have you, and say, look, our farmers are doing a lot for these communities. We need some economic support for them to keep doing this. So I think that's a role. And one of the things that's really great about that app is we've found that the farmers that are using it, it's a feedback loop, right? It's just the same as why are we gathering at our national conference to look at research? It's to learn. And so if you have something where you're instantly getting some feedback, how can we, we want to make this a learning institution, a learn, a place where people can feel like, I want to do better for my land. So let me go to the Biodynamic Demeter Alliance, and they're going to hook me up with a great vineyard that's doing amazing things, or they're going to have a, uh, some kind of a workshop or a webinar, and they're going to be looking into research that can help me be the best farmer I can be. So that's what we're trying to do. 
Yeah, I want to dig into this a little bit more. You know, nearly 100 years ago, Rudolf Steiner stood up and gave a week-long lecture that I believe the title was The Spiritual Foundations for the Renewal of Agriculture. Let's talk about the spiritual aspects of biodynamics 100 years later. How are we doing? Where's there room for growth? Um, you know, through the unification of the BDA and Demeter, I imagine there was a lot more cohesion, less infighting, that sort of thing. Where are we on that kind of roadmap towards, I don't know, solidifying, securing the spiritual foundations for agriculture? Steiner laid the path. Where are we at today? That's a good question, because I would say, <clears throat> it's a, you know, we're in a different era, right? Yeah. Um, my parents go to church. I don't. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean I'm not a spiritual person. Yeah. Totally am. Right. Um, so I think there's a generational shift as to what does spirituality mean? How do we bring that forward? So I think one of the core questions that I have, and I'm really looking forward to our conference because the final, um, the final keynote is really looking at what's the future of biodynamics. And I think how do we bring that spiritual element through is one of those questions because... Yeah. I don't think it's going to work as a dogmatic kind of thing, which back in, you know, the 1920s made a lot of sense. There was, that was happening all over the place. I think these days people are understanding our connection to the natural world as a spiritual act in and of itself. They're understanding taking care of the earth as a spiritual act in and of itself. I think there's a, there's a shift in what, spirituality means and I think the job of the biodynamic movement is going to be to be open to that and hold that in a way so that you can have some people that really dig deep into what Steiner was talking about and can bring some of those alive and you can also have people that just love to go sit in their field of calendula and think it's the most beautiful thing they've yeah. ever seen. And that's God in and of itself. Yeah, that's a version of spirituality, yeah. for sure. And it seems like there's a real opportunity for the regional groups to help in this aspect as well. I mean, you you laid out some of the roles that they can play as in supporting the biodynamic movement, whether you're certified or not, or you're interested in, certifi- in certification or not. I understand these regional groups to play a really important role in, in educating future biodynamic farmers. You know, they drive experimentation and research. They allow us to all pool our, resor- pool our resources and make preps together, share knowledge, and share the preparations to then be applied to the land to, to better meet Steiner's stated goal of applying it to as much land as possible, right? What, what role do you see the regional groups playing in the future, and what is the BDA doing to support these groups? I think that the regional groups play a really important role because much of this work, it can't be done remotely. It has to be done in person, on the ground, in local communities. So, you know, the whole idea of making preps is to bring people together and have that whole connection with the land where the prep is being made. And so that's really important because that gathering together is what, you know, helps that spiritual aspect really come alive. And it's also, I think the 
the land feeds on that. You know, it's a, it's a, it's an automatic feedback loop. So I think there's just some practical things in that. And then there's also that it's really hard for a lot of people to sit down with a book that's written by Steiner and understand exactly what it means and understand how to do it and in a way that makes sense. And so I think the regional groups can serve as interpreters. They can also serve as a practical, you know, it's, it's really different when you're sitting with a group of people around a table and you've got the cow horn and you're putting everything together, then it makes sense. You know, you can see why you would do it this way. And so I think there's all of that. It's a, it's a hands-on learning. Um, And I also think every region has its own flavor, its own, you know, I mean, that's the whole basics of biodynamics, right? To, to find the, the special character of that sense of place. And that's where the regional groups, I think they know that special character of that region. And I think in some places that could mean having, you know, study groups that are reading Steiner and understanding that. And other places that might be having study groups that are out looking at, you know, what's the local bird population doing in relation to the fields. And so I think it's, it allows for the individuality of a region and people and groups to have these different ways of approaching the same thing, which is biodynamics. And then the job, I think, of the national organization is to make sure that people can find them, right? So having the listing and also creating a container for folks to meet. So that's where the national conference comes into play or creating webinars, like we're talking about having special interest groups. So doing that sort of things, but where the regional groups can really they're really the leading edge of the growth of biodynamics is going to happen on a very, very local level. Yeah. So we need to, as the national organization to find ways of supporting that any way we can. You know, this makes me think of uh, at the time when I was serving on the board of directors for the Josephine Porter Institute, we always had this vision for trying to, you know, JPI is based in Virginia, right? And we had this this vision that this would be a really great hub to serve the sort of eastern seaboard. Uh, but what about those folks out in Northern California? What about those people in Austin, Texas? How cool would it be to have a JPI West or a JPI South? And the more we sat with it, we're like, well, it's kind of what the regional groups are already doing. What 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 can we do as our own little nonprofit JPI do to support those regional groups? What sort of resources, educational materials? etc can we can we send a prep maker out to get to join some of these groups can you talk a little bit more about uh what the newly unified bda is doing to maybe further that vision or promote it or support it yeah i think the first stop really is going to be i mean we're we're having lots of conversations right so going out and talking with the different regional groups trying to understand what they're already doing yeah what's already happening on the ground, where are the interests, where are the needs, how do they want to support a national movement, what sort of support do they want. So that's really been the last year, and I feel like the conference is going to be a place where everybody comes together and we start hearing more and more of what that is. And then my hope, I guess, is that out of all of that, we're going to get a much clearer understanding for, 
okay, what is it that we can do? For example, I was over east, and there's a lot of producers over east that would love to have materials that talk about biodynamics because they are busy doing what they're producing, and they do not have time to sit down and create some kind of cool-looking flyer that can be read by anybody off the street about biodynamics. So that's a resource we can develop. And then easy enough, so great, we can send that, you can download it off our website, we can email it to you, we can send it to your local printer, you tell us what you need us to do. And then we can, that, that can be a resource to help you build your knowledge base for your customers or the people that your regional group is working with. So that's, right now to me, it's as much a conversation to understand what is needed and, I, and then responding to that. I really feel this from you almost every time we talk and talk about collaboration. There's such incredible openness and supportiveness that you as the executive director and, and I think on behalf of the whole BDA really offer to the biodynamic movement. This, this openness in the sense of, well, what do, what do you guys need? What do you producers need or what are the consumers interested in? I, I so often hear this from you um, in wanting to better understand how, how this organization can better support the movement. And I can say as a producer, we're so appreciative of that. And it feels like there's almost this plasticity to the future of the BDA that you're in this data collection version right now. You kind of explained earlier, not to put words in your mouth, but maybe it kind of gets harder before it gets better. Or we're <laughs> able to serve more people once we do do this part, this data collection, this translation, this interpretation. Um, that's I think that's a really exciting place to be at this 100-year anniversary. Yeah. And I think the hard part is, frankly, that first of all, I'm one of those people that if I have a conversation with somebody and they say they want something, I want to I want to get it done. Yeah. I don't like just having conversations and then going, oh, that was nice. Thanks. Yeah. You know, get back to you in five years. Um, I want to see us doing things. So I think for yeah. us as an organization and um, for me personally, one of the big challenges is how do we prioritize what we can do and how do we raise the resources to do that? Because, you know, Everybody has different ideas and we want to be able to hear those and we want to be able to implement those. So, so then what is, what, where can we put our resources that's going to have the most bang for the buck now? And then what do we need to do, you know, a year from now and then five years from now? Um, one of the things that we did um, in this first year as an organization is we had a retreat and um, at that retreat, we identified four priority areas. So one was that we want to be able to build the biodynamic marketplace. So what does that look like? To me, that's a lot of conversations initially. Yeah. What do our producers want as a marketplace? What's going to work for them? There's all kinds of ideas. You know, we would love to see an online biodynamic marketplace. What would yeah. that look like? How would that actually work for our producers? You know, I know a lot of farmers that really are farmers because they don't want to have anything to do with the internet. So yeah. how do we make an online marketplace work? How do we, what do they want to do on a regional basis for building an economic center? So building the BD um, marketplace is one of those priorities. Another priority was this regional award. So how do we get farmers paid for the ecosystem services that they're providing? Biodynamic yeah. farmers provide a lot back to their communities. 
in the first years of piloting that regional work app, they have seen, I, I wish I could remember the number, but it's, it's millions of dollars a year that go back to communities from biodynamic farmers that have been piloting this in Europe. So how do we make sure that farmers are getting that? How do we generate that invoice, find out who in our world is gonna pay for that and make that happen? So that's the second priority. Third priority is what is the suite of services that as an organization we can provide that are gonna help everybody from the certified biodynamic Demeter farmer, what did, what's the suite of services they need and what's the suite of services that, you know, a conventional um, farmer that is not implementing organic practices but somehow starts to see that this could be something that could be really interesting and starts going down the path of maybe I'll stop using pesticides and herbicides. Oh, I like this idea of on-farm fertility. Yeah. Oh, I've never tried building compost on farm. That could be really cool. Oh my gosh, look what happens when I add the preps. And what happens of, when I bring chickens and into what, the farm? And then those chickens, yeah. holy cow. Yeah. Um, and so I think as, uh, so that's a question. How do we provide a suite of services that can really make people feel like there's a place for them in this movement? And then the fourth priority is recruiting. Yeah. How do we then make it so that it's easy for Demeter certified producers and people who are interested in becoming certified to apply to become certified? How do we talk more people into getting certified? Because that's really important when it comes to the movement is getting Demeter certified. So how do we make that value really important and do a really good job of taking care of our Demeter certified producers? So those are our four priority areas. I can't even remember what started this. <laughs> it was just, it was just uh, the openness and the willingness to, to find these multitude of pathways to support the whole movement. Yeah. yeah. So I think that was our attempt at, okay, how do we, there's so much that we want to do. How do we prioritize a little bit? So we found those four priority areas. And then we've got our, you know, the that education piece is the national conference and then being able to hear then from everybody through conversations at the conference, through emails that they send to us, what have you. Okay, this is a need. We need to start addressing this. Yeah. So that's my personal challenges. I personally would love to answer every single challenge that's out there and, and the climate crisis tomorrow. Yeah. But we can't do it all. We've got a really tiny staff, and we're trying to keep it tiny. We don't want a big huge organization we want a really lean effective organization that's serving the biodynamic yeah. community and you know this really makes me think about a conversation we were having earlier about one of those challenges that i think you've encountered about the, the challenges of scaling biodynamics <laughs> and and by keeping a tight-knit organization with a lot of really direct communication it allows you to then create other strong arms or branches of that and by all of these kind of hubs and spokes that all meet and communicate with each other or gather to make preparations um, that the scaling happens by having these many small farms and small units small organizations all collaborating right let's talk about one of those individual organisms or the whole farm as an organism you know, to me, this is a really fundamental power of biodynamics as it focuses each farmer on a larger vision of their farm. When you start to think about everything on your farm being interrelated, you can't help but think about how your farm is connected to the planet. 
the universe as a whole. What does this concept mean to you? Yeah, that is really interesting. So one of the things that I hear all the time is that biodynamics isn't scalable. And I say that's wrong. Yeah. It's how you think about scale, yeah. right? So if, if scale means do we want to have, you know, 20,000 acre biodynamic farms? I don't know, maybe, but that's not the only way to scale. I think a much more effective, longer term, sustainable, regenerative way of scaling is to support lots of small farms working together. 20,000 one acre farms. 20,000 one acre farms. You know, to me, that is much more resilient. And I think if you look in nature, that's what nature has seen as the most resilient path is let's have lots of cells to create an elephant rather than having this gigantic elephant sized cell. Yes. You know, it allows for some degree of, of not quite specialization, but at least like, that's one of the things in my backgrounds in science. And so, uh, you know, the fact that every cell is, can be specialized, but still a generalist. I just think that's beautiful. Yeah. And I think, if we could see farms in the same way as being, you know, sure they have an area that is what they do really well, but they also understand that this is a full organism and their neighbor is part of a bigger organism. And we're all part of this. That's really beautiful, I think. You know, you're taking me back to my like sophomore year college biology class too, but building on it in such an eloquent way, I think of cells as those individual building blocks, groups of cells form tissues, Groups of tissues form organs, and organs are part of this whole system, this whole body system, right? And as we're talking about the role of regional groups, certified and uncertified practitioners, education, outreach, consumers, everybody involved, I think these are all, you start to look at versions of the specialization of whatever tissues or organs or whatever, wherever this metaphor is going in our dorky science brains here, (laughs) which I love, by the way. Um, Yeah, I, I really see those those connections and those opportunities for both specialization and for collaborative knowledge sharing and practice as yeah. well. Yeah, I think so too. And I think one of the key pieces is being able to have a lot of respect for what your neighbor's bringing to the table. You know, I think that's one of the things that I really hope as a national organization we can model and support and cultivate because... Yeah. I think somebody might do it a little bit different, but you're going to learn from them and they're going to learn from you. And it's really important to have a lot of respect for each other. Absolutely. So to interject here, you both have an academic background, master's degrees based in science. How do you bring that knowledge into the practice of biodynamics? So before I ever became a biodynamic farmer, I majored in biology at a liberal arts school and got to study, you know, sociology and history and music and all this sort of stuff. So I really appreciated how when I first arrived at a biodynamic farm in Southern California, when I was a woofer, just a work trade volunteer, I'd never encountered these ideas before. It was Alan York, a mentor of mine who you mentioned earlier, who really first introduced me to the concept of biodynamics. And interestingly enough, when I presented the idea of going to grad school to study soil science, to bring that back to the farm, he kind of was like, I don't know, if you want to learn about biodynamic farm, you should farm. 
this is the best way to learn about it. And he's not wrong, but I will say that I was really grateful to have gone to UC Davis, done my master's degree in soils and biogeochemistry, and really understand, as I think Steiner recommended or, or suggested that Ehrenfried Pfeiffer go do, is go to the university, go get that understanding of weight, measure, number, quantitative science, but then bring that back to spiritual science, enliven that 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 university approach, that quantitative approach with this whole other qualitative spiritual science. And it was that was not my idea. Another mentor of mine, Matthias Baker, actually compared my journey to Aaron Fried Pfeiffer's to go do that and then take biodynamics to the US, right? So I see the importance of bringing science into the practice of biodynamics because as I've gotten this formal education, I know how to set up a research study. I know how to monitor soil health on a long term. I know how to uh, do those lab practices and maybe most importantly, interpret the data to really understand what it's saying about how our practices are impacting metrics of soil health or biodiversity or economic outcomes or, I don't know, personal happiness and animal welfare, right? Which is all a part of the whole thing, but hard to measure quantitatively, right? So I think biodynamics provides us this lens for healing the earth, for regeneration through agriculture, and bringing science and conducting research and then learning how to share this data and really turn it into stories. I think share the artistry of it and communicate the real meaning and impact behind it goes way beyond the numbers of what a lot of you know published journals or, or publications in scientific journals might provide some insight into. Um, so for me, just that training in the science has brought this um, this new perspective of how we can better understand our practice. When I'm when I'm out there looking at this yarrow preparation that was made in a stag's bladder versus a yarrow preparation made in a birch log, I can see quantitatively, I can feel the difference, I can smell the difference, I can see the color difference. That transformation is, is occurring in, in different ways, influenced by different uh, uh, factors. But ultimately, if we can apply a qualitative scientific lens to it and start to run some biochemical assays or look at the microbial community present in these two different preps, we can then begin to measure and better understand, well, what is the role of the stag bladder versus the birch log and use that to inform our own practice? All right, which which direction do we want to take it or or how can we expand or evolve some aspect of our farming practices? Um, I, think, I think that's one one important role of bringing science into biodynamics. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think for me where I see my science background being influenced is um, really similar in that, that, that need for collecting data and making decisions based on the data that you see. I also think, um, you know, when I was in at UC Santa Cruz um, as an undergrad, I had the pleasure of being invited into an upper level graduate course. And um, the course had maybe, I think, eight different, 10 different biologists in there. And then it had John Pierce and Todd Newberry, who are like the greatest and 
uh, invertebrate biologists out there, in my personal humble opinion. <laughs> I adore them. Um, and um, the whole course was about how to ask the right questions. Mm. Yes. And um, I feel like that's one of the aspects that as a movement, I really want to try to encourage farmers and consumers and people who are backyard gardeners to be doing. Ask the right questions. Think about where are we. Keep learning. Because that's the basis of science is that there's an understanding that there is a lot to this world that we don't know. And what we're trying to do is gain in our knowledge and understanding. And I think if we can cultivate that as a movement, we can get people who may have never thought about biodynamics to start shifting in their relationship to the earth and to each other. So I... And I think there's so much that we don't understand. And I think there's a lot that Steiner brought to the table with biodynamics that was way out of the realm Mm -hmm. of what the science of his time could track with. Mm -hmm. We're just now beginning to glimpse at what that might mean. You know, the impact of the preps, you know, the microbial life in the soil that wasn't really understood. You know, I heard this great interview with uh, Jane Goodall, and she was talking about um, recent research that's come out about the fact that animals are sentient beings. And in this interview, the interviewer was saying, well, you know, you, you got criticized a lot when you were in Oxford, or, you know, when you were doing your research, and you'd send your research back to Oxford, and these Uh, esteemed Oxford professors would say, you know, you should have been numbering the animals and all this other stuff. And like, how did you think? What did you think about that? And she said, oh, those professors are so brilliant and they have so much to contribute. And I knew they were completely wrong. (laughs) She said, you know, I had a much greater teacher and that was my dog. Because anybody who's ever owned a dog knows that, of course, animals are sentient beings. Well, I think... One of the things that biodynamics brings that I just find so fascinating is the idea of what plants are, Mm -hmm. that there's this whole new level of understanding. And, you know, Steiner does that drawing where he puts plants with their heads in the ground, right? I mean, that was like eye-opening for me, this whole idea that, of course, it makes total sense. The reproductive aspects of the plant are up towards the sky And then we've got the digestive in the middle. And then you've got your head underneath. And so that intellectual, that mind, that thinking part of the plant is in the ground. Yeah. That creates a whole different perspective on why you do no-till. It creates a Mm. whole different perspective because those are relationships that that the plant is building. Yeah, almost these neural networks or something, right? It's neural networks. Yeah. And so understanding that is radically different. Well, that's a whole new aspect of science. That's so exciting. And if we could start finding ways of really collecting data around that, like I know they did one experiment where they had three trees next to each other, and uh, there was a Douglas fir and two other different varieties of fir. They weren't even the same uh, species of tree. And the one tree they shrouded and made it so it couldn't photosynthesize, and they had tracked the nutrients going 
in the roots. And then when they shrouded the one tree, they saw that the nutrients from the other trees went to help that These third tree. These unrelated species. Unrelated species, yeah. but their neighbor. Yeah. And I was like, this is a beautiful thing. Yes. Like we as humanity can learn from our plant friends. And I think indigenous cultures have known this for a really long time. Absolutely. And so I think it's super important for us as a movement to really cultivate this deep appreciation that Steiner brought to the movement of like, know where you're working. Get excited about exploring. There's a beautiful world out there. And science is just about learning more about it. Yeah. Yes. And and as excited as you are about uh, learning more and engaging more with our plant friends, let's not forget the fungi, the bacteria, (laughs) all the microscopic organisms that I always find myself reminding people of the importance of them. They're all community members. They're all playing an important role in this resource sharing and pathogen suppression and, and really just making for a healthy ecosystem. And if we apply that same lens of forest ecology and these little microcosm of three trees, and we start thinking about, well, what about three neighbor farms on the same street? Here's a little hub of biodynamics. Oh, well, that actually exists in in Virginia. And you've got Spikenard and you've got JPI, and there's this whole little hub forming right there. So I I love that vision uh, that, that you provided for me of those many small hubs all coming together to share and to really build and scale the biodynamic mm-hmm. movement. I love that perspective that you shared with me. Sheila, you have to be excited about all the upcoming events and projects for the Biodynamic Demeter Alliance. Please tell us about your new rebranding, and let's dig a little deeper into the National Conference and Showcase in Denver this November. Um, so one of the first projects out the gate as a new organization was to, you know, what's our mission? Uh, what's our logo, all of those sorts of things. So we hired a team out of New York and they did a great job of interviewing probably 150 different players in the biodynamic movement to really get an understanding of what are we talking about here. They also talked to people outside of the biodynamic movement to gain some understanding. And then they, um, that was through a survey and then they had in-depth interviews with about 40 or 50 people. And out of that, they came up with some recommendations as to where we could go and who should we be. And I've learned a lot about branding in the last year. And one of the things that you do, have you guys, you probably, did you go through a branding process? I assume you did. Not when I was here, but yeah, I mean, we've, we've been putting up new signs, yeah. uh, marketing the farm stand, finding new ways to promote new products, value-added products, but I don't think to the extent that you have. So please yeah. go on, so, teach me something. So it's interesting because one of the things you can do in a branding process is you pick a personality, okay. right? So we had to pick a personality and there was like, are you the magi- magician? Are you... Uh, I can't remember some of the other ones. But the thing that we landed on that really resonated, and at the same time, at first, it was a little uncomfortable. And that was the idea of the everyday person. Hmm. And the the discomfort came from the idea of, gosh, Biodynamics has always really been a luxury brand. Yeah. And is this realistic for us to to view ourselves this way? Because the reality is, it's expensive. A lot of times if you go into the store and you're going to go buy some biodynamic cranberries, they're yeah. probably going to be about 20% more expensive than the cranberries that weren't grown that way. Yeah. So how do we, is this realistic? But as a movement, as a who are we, our view of the world is 
we think everybody should be saying it's not good enough to give us food that isn't grown in a way that is going to care for our body. I mean, that's what started yeah. biodynamics, right? Right. It was farmers seeing that the nutritional value that was coming off the fields because World War I chemicals were being used to increase fertility, mm -hmm. that was going to have an impact on the quality and the quantity of nutrients that are in any kind of food that people are eating. And they were worried about it. And Steiner was worried about it. He said, this is going to be a real problem. You're going to have generations that don't have the life force in yeah. them that they need. And here we are, right? We've got yeah. a planet in crisis and we need our humanity on working on all four cylinders. Yeah. And we need nutrients in our, in our food. And so I think, um, um, oh, I got lost. Where was I? <laughs> um, the the branding. Oh, the branding. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so so the whole idea of of our brand is really we want to be as welcoming as we can be. Yeah. Big, <clears throat> we big want tent. this to be. We want a big ten. Yeah. And and it was so fun to realize that that we want to create something that is accessible to everybody, feels welcoming, is a place where people feel like this is the path I want to follow. So that became, we're, we're for everybody. Yeah. Um, so then we got a beautiful logo and we got this uh, other piece that's part of the logo. So that, that's all starting to roll out. That'll show up as a website. We're working on a new website. Um, so that's a whole big piece and now we have the national conference which is happening in november we are so excited to attend i am so glad that you're there <laughs> it's going to be great it's we have field trips that are beautiful field trips that are going to go out to farms that are in the boulder colorado area mm -hmm. um so we've got people are going to go to aspen moon they're going to go to dharma farms we have a, a field trip out to a buffalo ranch um we have the dryland ecology center we're also doing a service project with Metro Caring, which is a food social justice organization. So all kinds of opportunities there. And this we, is all pre-conference. This, this is pre-conference. Before pre it even starts. Yeah. yeah, before it even starts. And then we have a full day on Thursday of full day and half day workshops. So we've got the wine and Tetsa that you guys are really yes. pulling together and hosting. We have a whole bunch of other ones that are being offered that are super exciting. And then we have the opening of the conference on Thursday and we have Healing Grounds. I don't know if you've read the book, but it's a beautiful book by Liz Carlisle. Um, it talks all about how we can heal the planet. And she has interviewed uh, particularly people of color from all across the United States to talk about the work that they're doing. So we have Latrice Tatsy, who's Blackfoot, yeah. and she's coming talking about how the buffalo that relationship between the buffalo and the soil yeah. and we have Ida Guzman who's looking at research in the Central Valley of the role of gardens on uh, increasing um, pollinators and the relationship between the soil and pollinators which is just fascinating yes. um, so that's our opening keynote and then uh, on Friday we have Nikki Silvestri as our keynote oh, she's great she is amazing she is uh, you know she was with Ben Jones is the CEO of, um, of Green for All, and she started the People's Grocery in Oakland, and now she's got this great organization called Soil and Shadow, right. which is really looking at how, as humans, 
we can apply ecological concepts to create a healthier ecosystems as in our human relationships. So super excited about her. And then uh, on Saturday, we have Woody Tash, who wrote the book Slow Money. Mm-hmm. And um, he is going to be talking about economic development in a way that is really looking at the, the true investment that you're making. And Martin Ping's going to join him on the stage, which is really exciting. Martin Ping's the executive director of Hawthorne Valley Association. Oh, great. Yeah. So great conversation there. And then we have um, the last keynote, the one that you're in, mm-hmm. which is looking at the future of the biodynamic farming and what do people who are in the movement are young now, where, where do they see this going? Uh, second, third generation farmers. And then we have morning workshops. So I just, right before I came here, was talking with Penny Livingston, who's one of the premier permaculture teachers in the United States and world, really. She's working with Gabby Gonzalez, who is on our board, and they're going to be looking at water. So Gabby's from Mexico. They're doing a whole thing on, like, people who sign up for that three-day workshop can bring images of their farm, and they'll do a whole consulting thing with everybody. So that's going to be super exciting. Winona LaDuke and her mother are coming to look at um, how to find your voice through art and activism. So that's a three-day workshop, which is just so special to have the two of them together teaching. I can't believe we're so lucky. And then we've got a whole prep maker three-day. I mean, so there's all that. And then we have about, I think it's 40 different workshops that are 90-minute workshops that are going to happen on Friday and Saturday. So we've got all that happening. And then on Saturday from noon to 6, we have a biodynamic showcase. Yes. Tell me about that. That is, we're bringing, we're advertising it out to the whole Denver Boulder community. So it's open to everybody to come for a day. People will have a chance to taste probably the largest collection of biodynamic wines ever assembled in the United States. And um, so they get to come in, taste wine. There's all kinds of biodynamic products there that they'll get a chance to sample. They'll get a chance to talk to the winemakers. They'll get a chance to talk to the cheesemakers. Fox Hollow Farm is going to be there with beef. Like There's going to be the whole spectrum. We're going to have One Gun Ranch there with their compost. So it's like a whole range of biodynamics plus local producers that are bringing in their vegetables and things like that. So that's from noon to six. And um, it's a huge gathering. We're hoping for, you know, at least 600 people attending the conference and then another thousand or more attending the the showcase. So it should be Biodynamics should be buzzing in the Boulder, Denver area in November. That's for sure. This sounds like a perfect embodiment of this idea that we've been talking about of bringing together all these little hubs from all over, not just the U.S., but hopefully the world, and bring them all into one place to share these ideas and share resources and then go on home to to continue with the experimentation and and the advocacy work. Yep, for sure. We're really excited to have everybody get together. And Sheila, what are the dates of the Colorado Conference? It is November 8th through the 12th. So as we start to wind up here, Sheila, where are the places people can go to find more information? Your website and so forth. Yeah, so we, because we have two organizations that came together and we're one organization, so we have three websites, not one, (laughs) not two, but three. So probably the easiest one to remember is biodynamics.com. You can also go to the biodynamicdemeteralliance.org 
um, or you can go to DemeterUSA.org. So any of those will get you to the information that you're looking for. And, um, you know, I'm just hoping that people are going to come and register for the conference and come have a great time. Well, as we come to the close of our time here, could I just get a few closing thoughts from the both of you? Well, I just have to say, I am so grateful for what I see happening here at Troon because um, kind of what we talked about before where it's really easy for biodynamics to just be kind of this niche thing. It's can be seen as exclusive, what have you. And Troon embodies this idea of having super high quality, of really deep commitment to making the highest quality wine, having a beautiful farm, all of that. There's mm-hmm. a deep commitment to that. And at the same time, being completely welcoming. You know, you come here, it's so much fun to go sit on the patio. You know, you've got a farm stand here. You've got these wonderful workshops with backyard gardening and the bees. <clears throat> this is what we want to see happening everywhere. And I'm just feeling really lucky that it happens to be you know, within 45 minutes of where I live. And yeah. I come out here all the time. And every time I have guests that are visiting me, I'm like, I think I know where I want to take you. <laughs> so I just, you know, the more we can have places like Troon around the country, whether it's a winery or a dairy or a farm where people are going and picking their blueberries, yeah. it's all super valuable. And the more we can invite the community in, the better. And that's one of the things that I think makes the winery such a wonderful um, tool for the biodynamic movement, if you will, because it's a place that people want to come to. And it's a place where we can really share about the importance of creating a beautiful thing and doing it in a way that still nourishes the ground. And people can have a great time doing it. And I think that's super important. Well, that's extremely gracious of you. Thank you for those kind words. We're glad you enjoy yourself out here. We always love having you out here and joining us. I um, I think I wanted to say in closing, maybe I'm just sort of pre-chewing my um, you know, final keynote panel discussion here about the future of biodynamics. And this has been really enlightening for me to get your unique perspectives on what that future looks like, especially through the, the Biodynamic Demeter Alliance I, I I think this conversation today has been so instrumental for me in reimagining the way we think about scaling biodynamics and scaling the movement. I, I confess, I think I always thought of it as how big is your perimeter fence? How many acres are you that is scaling biodynamics? And there's limitations for what one organize, organization or one investor or one farmer, whatever, can practically manage. There's just limitations in terms of time, practically. And that's always felt like a limitation to me. But to re-envision that, reimagine how we think about scaling is actually really sinking in with me in a, in a profound way. And as we go into this busy harvest season and we imagine coming out of it with a lessons from another vintage and gathering in Denver in November to be able to share with other wine producers and biodynamic farmers... Um, I see this opportunity to, to 
not begin, but but rather continue deepening these relationships and these evolutions, these connections. Um, maybe it's a, a shameless plug, but it's something we've been talking about together, as well as engaging with the Oregon Biodynamic Group, who are mostly based in the Willamette Valley. We uh, have talked about catalyzing this Southern Oregon chapter of, of, of Biodynamic Regional Group. And with you here, with Troon here, Cowhorn Vineyard and Farm is another biodynamic certified farm. Um, upper five. Upper five. Thank you. There is an amazing community of certified practitioners here, as well as a ton of folks who I've met at the farmer's market and other, you know, uh, regional and community gatherings who learn that I'm from Troon and, oh, I want to come out there. I want to learn or I have something to offer. Let's put together a workshop. I'm an herbalist. Let's, you know, let's collaborate. And we're so into these kinds of collaborations and these kinds of educational immersive experiences. So we're going to host our first fall prep making gathering here on Saturday, October 7th. Um, Marjorie House is going to come down and join us and help lead that. Um, she's bringing with her supplies and animal sheets and flowers and people. And we're going to, you know, collectively gather, gather the practitioners, the local folks here in Southern Oregon at Troon on October 7th and dig into 500 and the cow horns. We're going to bury our yarrow preparation we made earlier this year. We're going to make and bury the chamomile and dandelion preparation. Uh, we're just really excited to be able to share this knowledge with this community because there's clearly such a thirst in this region, as I know is developing in so many other areas, especially on this precipice of the 100 year anniversary. I think this is a time that feels really exciting to me as a young person, but I think feels exciting to the entire movement to recognize not just where biodynamics comes from and and these and these roots but also where are we going how can we as craig was mentioning build off of this scientifically and use research how can we uh, engage a more inclusive and diverse community with biodynamics this is the future of biodynamics that i'm really excited to think about and explore especially in november and to really uh, learn from everybody else there as well We are happy to share this podcast from Troon Vineyard, a Demeter Biodynamic and Regenerative Organic Certified Winery in Oregon's Applegate Valley. We farm like the world depends on it by growing produce in our gardens and naturally crafting authentic wines. We will be sharing these in-depth podcasts several times a month. To learn more, I encourage you to visit our website at troonvineyard.com and those of the Regenerative Organic Alliance at regenorganic.org and Demeter Biodynamics at demeter-usa.org. Thanks for sharing our voyage to regenerative agriculture with us.